Hello and welcome to Vet Chloe on the Road. Insights from real people making positive change for our planet. I am Chloe, a veterinarian who has an interest in wildlife and all things environmental. And this is a show for people who would like to connect, learn, and prioritize caring for our beautiful green and blue world. Come join me as I travel around Australia in my van, Layla. Let's share all things conservation and meet all the inspiring environmental heroes along the way. And on today's podcast, what do you know about humpback whales and the importance and beauty of studying them from Bermuda? Well, on today's podcast, we'll be talking to the person who knows this best, my adventurous, authentic, tell-you-like-it-is, Uncle Andrew Stevenson. With his dedicated research of the humpback whales over the last 12 years, he has helped unlock the mystery of their mid-ocean migratory behavior. My van space is limited, but me and Oliver have taken one of Andrew's books. He is an accomplished author called Travels in Outback Australia Beyond the Black Stump. Just give it a read if you are interested in getting a flavor of the Outback Australia we will be venturing into. I'm reading it again now and it is brilliant. To name a couple of things Andrew has done in his life before whales in Bermuda, he has started a safari company in Tanzania and has owned adventure companies in Norway. So without further ado, if you'd like to meet this man and learn more, listen in. In this episode, we are in Bermuda, so you may notice the early evening sounds change from the local birds, such as the Kiskadees, to the whistling Bermuda tree frogs. So hello, welcome to the studio, Andrew. How are you? What a beautiful studio you've got. Oh my God, it's lovely. This is true. We are at your home, aren't we? Outside, though. Yep, on the patio. Yep. So if listeners hear any birds or um, Fish outdoor jumping sounds. or whales, <laughs> turtles gulping. Yeah, yep. it's all very authentic ambience. Yep. Um, so how should I introduce you? To begin with, um, Andrew, Andrew Stevenson um, is my uncle and is my godfather. Um, so he is actually a very important person in my life. But he's also an important person um, for Bermuda and for the wildlife here. So, Andrew, besides that intro, knowing you from birth, how should I introduce you? What do That's you do? That's a good question. It's a moving target. You know, <laughs> it just keeps changing. Yeah. That's the thing. So, so nowadays people say, ah, you're the whale man. Uh-huh. So that's, that's sort of how I'm introduced, the whale man. And do you like being known as the whale man? I've been called a lot worse. <laughs> that's good. That's a good. A lot worse, I can assure you. Uh, the whale man's pretty good. And what gave you this reputation? What's your involvement with the whales? People ask me, how did it all start? So I'd had a pretty adventurous life, and then I got married. And I then see. I had kids. Yes. And my wife's a doctor. Yep. And so it really made sense for me to be the daddy at home rather than she be the mummy at home. Very good. And we lived on the beach. Yep. And every morning I'd go for a walk with Elsa in my backpack and on on her own two feet later on. And she was still two years old, and we were walking on the beach, and a whale breached. Breached means jumping out of the water. Thank you, yeah. Right out of the water. <laughs> for right off the reefs. And little Elsa said to me, what's that, Daddy? And I said, it's a whale. I didn't even know what kind of whale it was. I just knew it was a whale. Mm-hmm. And she said, why does it do that? 
And I said, I don't know. Let's go up to the house and find out. Mm -hmm. And within half an hour, I realized I was sitting on a gold mine. Mm -hmm. Because there's nowhere else in the world where you have a platform providing a window into the pelagic, meaning mid-ocean, social lives of the humpback whales. That's mm -hmm. a bit of a mouthful, but for example, between Hawaii and Alaska, once the whales leave Hawaii, where they've been studied for 40 years, before they arrive in Alaska, nobody knows what they're doing. Mm, mystery. So, big mystery. Here, they've been studied down in the West Indies in their breeding grounds, their calving grounds, and they've been well studied for 40 years up in their feeding grounds in the eastern seaboard, eastern Canada. Mm -hmm. But in the middle of the ocean, nobody knows what happens yeah. to them. So it's not that I'm a genius. <laughs> Every it's Tripped up on something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I'm a little yeah, kid. Yeah. <laughs> Every whale cetacean expert had come to Bermuda for many decades trying to study the mid-ocean lives of the humpback whales, and they had all given up mm. because, yeah, why? one, they couldn't find the whales. Two, we have bad wet weather here at yeah. the time the whales come by. Yeah. And we are drinking dark and stormies here, by the way. We are drinking dark and stormies, Which is the yeah. national drink of Bermuda. Yes. Um, and maybe cheers. at some point, cheers, and maybe at some point, um, maybe explain, you're probably better at this, exactly where Bermuda is, if people are a bit, I mean, Bermudians would know, but it's quite a special location, isn't it? Well, it's and in you'll the middle, yeah, it's in the middle of the North Atlantic, exactly halfway between their breeding grounds and the West Indies. People think Bermuda's in the Caribbean. Yep, New true. York is closer, closer to us than the Caribbean. Yep. So Bermuda is in the middle of the ocean in a direct line between the Dominican Republic, where uh, one of the most important breeding grounds is, and let's say eastern Canada. Mm -hmm. And so all the top scientists had come here and tried to study the humpback whales, and they all gave up because they'd have, if they came here for three weeks, the conventional wisdom was that the whales swam by Bermuda the last week of March, first weeks of April. Mm -hmm. If they came out here for three weeks and they couldn't get out on the water because of the storms, and we have a lot of midwinter storms at that time of the year, it was a waste of their time. Mm. And very quickly, just looking at that website that I found uh, when Elsa asked me that question, I realized that if I'm living here, I can just pick and choose the calm weather days mm. and go out and look. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happened. So... After 12 years, I've identified 1,500 individual humpback mm. whales. Yeah, I was going to ask what your current number is at. Yeah. It's high. And um, over 200 of them are resightings over multiple years. And we have matched these to their feeding grounds. Um, but there's some very, mm. very interesting patterns that are showing up with the humpbacks that we are resighting here in Bermuda. And so with a big catalog like that, I'm not so interested anymore in finding out if they feed in Newfoundland or Maine or North Carolina and New York, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm much more interested in looking at the data patterns within our own data. For example, they seem to be maintaining fidelity to a fixed time schedule. Mm -hmm. If we see a late April whale, it'll be a late April whale year That's after year. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, and almost to the day. And have you seen some... Pretty much every year, you've done um, years of we've got this. one whale called Candle that we've seen eight oh, yes. out of the last twelve. The candle years. fluke. The candle fluke, <laughs> yeah, it looks exactly like a candle. We've seen that whale eight times out of the last twelve years. I can yep. often recognize that whale just by his behavior 
before yep. I see his fluke. Yep. Um, and a fluke for people is, you know, the underside of the tail. Tail. Yeah, which is got a unique black and white yep. fingerprint. Yeah. And what are they doing when they're exposing that above the surface of the water? Because um, you don't always see the fluke. They could be just blowholing above at the surface. Well, you know what? They're diving a down. A lot of the time when I try to answer questions about the humpback whales, <laughs> I just equate it to humans. So yeah. a lot of humans show their tail and a lot of humpback whales show their <laughs> tail and a lot don't. And there are some humpback whales that are very frustrating because they lift their tail out and they just let it sink and in. Just, okay, yeah. Others lift their tail out and give it a nice big shake and yeah. you can see every little pattern on it. Yeah. So they're yeah. quite a bit like us. Yeah. Actually, seriously, you know what? I think we are hardwired a lot like the humpback whales. Do you in know why? In what way? Yeah. Well, you've got long arms, haven't you? Yep. Humpback whales have got long arms. Yeah. No other whale has got long arms. Humpback whales have got oh. arms one third the length of their body. Yeah, they're huge when you they're see huge. those models. And what do they use their arms for? Well, I mean, they slap on the surface and create do all a tension sorts of wave. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They hug each other with them, Aww. like we do. Aww. And the they dancing. And the, yeah, and they fight each other with them. Right. Like we do. <laughs> and so we're hardwired the way humpback whales are hardwired. That's why I think we have such an affinity for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we do, and particularly people like yourself that have actually um, eyed them, you know, had that real eyeballed gaze, them, yeah. eyeballed them, yep. yeah, um, and have an experience of that affinity. Um, yep. Do you want to talk about that? Or I that can't. <laughs> no, that was seriously, the first time I eyeballed Because that also got you hooked. <laughs> yeah, the first time I eyeballed a whale, it was for two hours, and I could not sleep for a week. yeah. And Anna was a doctor, and she, in the end, she had to give me sleeping pills because <laughs> I kept, I kept thinking, what is that whale thinking? Because I was in the water filming dolphins when that whale came up to me, yep. and he was as close as you are to me for yeah. two hours, and yeah. it's not me making it up. You can see the video footage of it, and I couldn't sleep because I just kept thinking, what was that whale thinking? Because he had come up to me, he was looking at me eye to eye or eyeball to mask, and. I could not talk about the experience for about a month yeah. because I found it so emotional. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say every year, but almost yeah. every year I have similar encounters. Yeah. Um, and the trick is to be very passive. Yeah. There's no way I can have that kind of encounter by chasing after the whale. If they're in the mood, um, the boat has to be stationary. They have to come to yeah. the boat. I slip in the water, and it may, may take a couple of hours, but after a couple of hours... Um, they're close enough that yeah. I can touch them on the head. And it, it takes a lot of patience to get to that experience, right? There's hours and hours and hours yeah. and hours of just well, yeah. bobbing around. Yeah. Would you still agree that, you know, maybe only 3% of your time is actually seeing whales? A lot of it is, I guess, driving out there and being on the water? 3% is exaggerating. <laughs> is that a lot? Oh, that's a lot. I wish it was 3%. It's about 0.5%. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... I mean, you've got to really want to do this kind of work. You've got to really want to do it. It's like being a fighter pilot. It's a lot of boredom doing the training and so on, and then 0.5% of adrenaline. Yeah. yeah. But what I quite like is that you have a background of um, safari in Africa, and I feel like in Bermuda this is maybe something uh, similar. Does it give you that? Well, your mother, <laughs> my sister, <laughs> when she came out with me whale watching, which she's done a few times, says the more things change, the more they stay the same because... How many years ago? 40 years ago. I'd be driving a Land Rover looking for elephants. 
and now right. I'm driving a boat <laughs> looking for humpback whales. Yeah, when um, you know, I'm on the boat with you. We went off and just saw our dolphins the other day. Um, it, I've seen photos of you on jeeps in Africa, and it, you know, just slightly grayer, but yeah, still, same, still same the adventurous man you are. So. Same old shit. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a bit. I mean, there are networks out there for passing on your information to other people, or what's the sort of uh, exchange of data and information. Um, uh, you've got other people, and how yeah. does this work? That's the dark side. <laughs> the darker side. Because yeah. <laughs> you're doing all the uh, the footwork, right? So Yeah, so I used to share my, my data with scientists, and I don't anymore uh, yeah. because it's a one-way street. It's like I'm the laborer, and they yep. do the research, and they write the papers, and... Um, you so can now write it the way you want, right? Maybe yeah, and drawing drawing conclusions that I don't agree with, um, and it's it's a one way flow of data going to them and a very yeah. little coming back. So I no longer share my uh, data with scientists. Yeah. Um, but I share it one hundred percent with other people like myself. We call ourselves citizen scientists. Yep. I hold nothing back. They hold nothing back. Um, and as soon as we find something out, like a match. Yep. between one of their whales and one of my whales uh, will inform each other. Um, so I think you know that's a, a whole interesting concept, this whole business of uh, citizen scientists mm. sharing data. Yeah, that's a new term for me, actually. And Citizen scientists? Yeah, yeah. and do you uh, connect with these people at conferences or just no. through... Because I know you have gone to a number of um, sort of whale gatherings... Um, <laughs> that's well, what you call yeah, them. <laughs> yeah, it sounds very woo-woo, but you know, the Society of Marine Mammalogy is uh, it's the preeminent um, conference where scientists uh, go to share their data, and uh, the citizen scientists will be there. But you know, generally speaking, they don't get invited to present um, because they don't have the PhDs. Um, but the the data that that they that we are collecting is. Um, is far more important than than some of the the scientific data that um, that is being presented at these conferences. Yeah, yeah, because um, I think you know collaborating is probably helpful. Because then the whole point is that you've identified that it seems as though these humpback whales are coming from their breeding ground, um, so in Dominican Republic, past Bermuda, and up through to Nova Scotia, where they um, feed. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah. Yep. Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, Greenland, yep. Iceland, maybe Norway. Yep. And Bermuda being an ex-volcanic, um, you know, ridge, um, it's sort of like an echo chamber under the ocean. Is that correct? Are you hearing them sing and gather, or is that a theory that you're? Yeah, I'm not sure that I would say that about the Bermuda platform so much as the um, Challenger Bank, which is about ten miles offshore. And Challenger Bank is one of hundreds of um, seamounts in the middle of the ocean. Uh, what makes that one different is that I can get out there after I drop the kids off at school yeah. and um, be on a mid-ocean seamount. But Challenger Bank is actually, you, you called it an echo chamber. I think it's probably one of the most important seamounts because it's, let's say, 10 miles by 15 miles. Mm-hmm. It's flat as a pancake, basically, um, for 180 feet underwater. And then there's um, a crown, the volcanic plug, in the middle that goes up to 147 feet. Mm. And if a whale gets below the thermocline and starts singing, that, those, those sound waves are going to bounce off the thermocline above 
and off the pancake below and go out hundreds mm. of miles. Yeah. And Bermuda is where whale song was discovered. Is it? Yeah. Wow. The whole Save the Whale movement came from the recordings made by the U.S. Navy when they were detecting Russian submarines. Oh, wow. And they couldn't figure out what these weird sounds were until a Bermudian called Frank Watlington figured out it was humpback whales. Wow. And so the original whale songs were discovered here in Bermuda. Wow, that's that's a fabulous thing to know. Yeah. yeah. And you borrowed some equipment for listening to the sounds under the water. Is that correct? Some big heavy equipment from overseas or? Yeah, so I gave, um, I gave a couple of presentations at the Society, Society for Marine Mammalogy in uh, October in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Yep. And I met these um, engineers who have got hydrophones that they deploy, and we have deployed two of these hydrophones here in Bermuda for five months, and they're underwater right now recording humpback whales, dolphins, oh, other big whales until September. And uh, when we pull those hydrophones um, back on board, we'll have um, the, the data recorded, and uh, hopefully we'll put them back down again and record for another six months. And that's going to fill in a lot of the gaps that we that we don't know because I can only get out on the water when, when the weather permits me to get on the water. But these hydrophones are recording all the time. By the way, we were supposed to deploy them in December. And it took oh, right. <laughs> two months for the Canadian government to give us permission because these are military-grade hydrophones that record everything, including submarines. Yep. And they were trying to figure out what it was that we were recording. But anyway, they right. gave us the, um, the hydrophones. And they have been deployed since the 31st of March. Oh, wow. Exciting. Mm. Exciting to get that information. And they will take the information and examine it and yep. let you so, know what they so, find. Um, it won't be so yourself. It will be yeah, it, it won't be myself. It's a very complicated process. So they're recording for 29 minutes at the frequency of humpback whales, for one minute at the frequency of beaked whales, including dolphins, and then a 30-minute mm. rest cycle. And when we pull those out, they'll go through a computer to scrub the data, mm -hmm. to listen to what we're trying to listen for. Mm. Um, and then we can start trying to process yeah. uh, what that data means. And I guess some people might know what whales sound like, try and interpret it, what they're saying to each other. I guess there's someone um, that's an expert in that field. Yep, yeah, there's somebody that's an expert in that field who's been doing it for 40 years, um, but nobody's figured it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the thing that I've discovered is that there's a lot of conventional wisdom out there, and the more conventional wisdom I find, the more I find that it's not correct. Mm. And, um, and so the more questions I have, the more... Answers I get, the more questions uh, those, those <laughs> answers we get. So you'll never be out of work. Then. I'll never. <laughs> yeah, I wish it was work. Yeah, I wish somebody was paying my salary. <laughs> it's a passion. Uh, labor of love. Labor of um, love. Yeah. But it's been ultimately quite a good story for humpbacks because was it 1982 when they banned the hunting of mm -hmm. humpback whales yep. worldwide, um, and their numbers have increased, increased, increased to the point where we think they're no longer endangered. Um, what do you know what their current standing is, or well, they're no longer endangered, and there's no doubt that their numbers are increasing. Um, and so they were protected 
Who were they protected by? The International, the International Whaling, Whaling Commission. Commission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what does that tell you? The International Whaling Commission protected them because there wasn't enough humpback whales or whales to hunt anymore economically. Oh, is that so their they figured they'd ulterior pro- motive? <laughs> well, but originally, yeah, yeah. They, they protected them so that their stocks, as they called it, would yeah. increase so that they'd be commercially viable to hunt them again. Yeah. And so what I'm trying to do, my ultimate goal, is to understand these whales and to show what these whales are doing through my books and films so that we understand these are highly complex animals with feelings, um, just as we have, and that they deserve to be protected and to live in peace, just as we protect every single human being. Um, So that's my ultimate goal. And if they are no longer endangered, and they are off the endangered list, does that mean that the International Whaling Commission says, okay, we can hunt them again? Hopefully not. Hopefully not. (laughs) Or, Or there's so much knowledge about these whales that we say, no, uh, these are sentient beings, they've got feelings, they've got so many other aspects of life um, that, that we have, whether you measure, measure it physically or um, by observation, that, that they deserve protection. I went to university a long time ago in <laughs> Norway, and at university they served whale meat because the Norwegians yeah. still hunt whales. Yeah. And I ate whale meat. Yeah. Now, if you asked me to eat whale meat now, that would be, I would have the same reaction as if you served me up human flesh. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And 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 it's what is that based on? It's based on knowledge. It's based on understanding what these whales are all about. And so that's all I'm trying to do: trying to uh, disseminate the understanding and knowledge that I have, so that others can feel it. Not yeah. everybody can swim with whales look them eye to eye or have the experiences that I have, but if somehow through my films and books I can disseminate that knowledge and understanding, then I don't think that we're going to be able to accept the fact that they are just great big, huge, floating masses of of blubber and meat that need to be culled for whatever purposes. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And you've got a um, fabulous website that reaches lots of people, um, whalesbermuda.com, correct? Correct, but you know, it's so cumbersome to put <laughs> stuff on there. I just use Facebook now. So Do you? Yeah. Yeah, from yeah. there you can go onto my Facebook page and I put stuff on there all the time. And you had that documentary, um, Where the Whales Sing, and your book, Whale Song, um, Journeys into the Secret Lives of the North Atlantic Humpbacks. Yeah. So, yeah, that's good stuff if people want to look that up. What's your opinion on the international whale standing right now. Whales are in a bad situation in other places of the world. Well, yeah, whales are still being hunted by the Japanese in Antarctica. They're still being hunted by the Icelanders, the uh, Norwegians. Nobody forces you to be a member of the IWC, the International Whaling Commission. Mm -hmm. So the Japanese are part of the International Whaling Commission. And their excuse for hunting whales is that it's scientific research. Yeah. Uh, we don't even have to go into that <laughs> whole thing. That's, that's a load of rubbish. Um, there's no scientific research that comes from their hunting. Um, they've got so much uh, frozen whale meat um, stockpiled that there's no financial reason to, commercial reason to um, hunt whales. There's other reasons why the Japanese do that. Now, with the Icelanders and the Norwegians, they're not members of the International Whaling Commission. So yeah. They can do whatever they want. 
and they yeah. do. So the Norwegians hunt several hundred minke whales, and the Icelanders hunt, from all reports, just about anything that moves. Mm. Um, Are they doing okay? Their whale populations up there? Well, they're not. They're, it's not their whale populations. Mm. It's, right. it's, it's you know our. This is what this is what I find very upsetting. So a whale that we see here year after year, like Candle. Yeah. Candle has only been seen once before in Labrador in 1976. Labrador is in the just opposite Greenland. In Greenland, they hunt humpback whales. Mm-hmm. So Candle is a whale that is protected in its breeding grounds in the West Indies. It's protected if it comes here. It's protected if it goes to the United States. It's protected in Canada. And it swims across the Davis Strait into Greenland, and it gets killed yeah. by so-called traditional hunters who've gone out with a, a diesel-powered uh, fishing boat with a rocket-propelled grenade. Mm. Um, and that's where Sea Shepherd, as we know it, is often defending those kind of waters. Well, in Iceland they have, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not sure they've done anything in Greenland, but the Icelanders just do it because they can do it. And mm. uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very complicated, complex uh, And I guess people want to eat it. My... Auntie on the other side of my family was in Iceland earlier this year. And Which one was that? that? was on the menu, Lucia. Lucia. Yeah. And um, she was saying that was on the, the menu along with horse um, and <laughs> some other um, animal she wasn't so keen to yeah. eat. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, you know. I guess it's I, an industry I, for it. I ate whale meat when I was in Norway. Why did I eat whale meat? Because I didn't know any better. It was. I was curious. It was there. Yep. But knowing what I know now, I couldn't possibly do that. And so, I don't point fingers at your aunt for doing it either. It's curious. It's weird. It's what <laughs> she is went it? For the salmon in the end. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Probably she's been to your talks. Okay. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly. So, that's the whole point to to try to create an understanding of of this wonderful animal that we have living in our oceans and um, and how it deserves to be protected. Yeah. Yeah. For many reasons. And we have other whales here, too, in Bermuda, don't we? We have um, the beaked whale, or which ones do we have here as well? We have uh, Cuvier beaked whales, yep. um, sperm whales, pygmy sperm whales, yep. uh, a minke uh, whale calf uh, showed up um, in St. George's Harbor, starving and died. Mm, yeah. uh, but basically it's humpback whales, yep. Cuvier whales, um, sperm whales from time to time. Yeah. Yep. And, and dolphins. And dolphins, yes. Mm. Um, dolphins are whales. Tell us more about that. Well, whales are not dolphins, but dolphins are actually whales. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's not a known fact, is no, it? No, it isn't, yeah. Um, so what constitute a whale? What's the... What any any cetitian. Okay. Including a dolphin. And what's a, what class is a cetitian? further, further into it. You know what? I've We've all got Google. I've got, I've got a postgraduate degree in economics. <laughs> I, wish right. I, I, I wish I'd studied bi- marine biology. Boy, do I wish I'd studied marine biology and then uh, I could answer your question. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's what it is. Sort of, it, it's good to start conversations and, and get questions. Yeah. yeah. And you keep getting further into it. Yeah. Um, and there are all those other whales in Bermuda, but are, is the humpback more predominant in Bermuda? Oh, gosh, yeah. It's yeah. 99%, 99.9% okay. of the whales that we see. Are, yeah. yeah apart the from the dolphins. Yeah. And do you think that the, the future looks bright, the direction things are going? or It looks great. Um, so they are protected. I can't imagine, touch wood, 
that the IWC, the International Whaling Commission, is going to find it possible mm. to allow hunting of humpback whales. Quite a lot of outcry. There would be an awful outcry, I think. Um, but the whales do um, have other dangers that they face. They face entanglement. Yeah. So 70% 70 of the whales that we see, we can see entanglement scars on them. Yeah. Um, and you've seen some of those. They're quite distressing, aren't they? They're very distressing. This year I found one. We spent two hours with it, and there was nothing that we could do. Mm. It was covered in sea lice. Uh, somebody had photographed the same whale three days earlier, and um, there was no sea lice on it, so that clearly this whale was dying. And uh, this is line that's been accidentally fallen off of cargo ships, or who knows? It, yeah, yeah. It, it, who who knows? It, yeah. it could be it could be lobster pot nets. Um, yeah, uh, lobster pot lines. It could be nets. It could be anything. I, I I'm constantly pulling stuff out of yeah. the ocean and bringing it home. You could go down to the bottom of the garden and you'll yeah. see stuff that uh, that we've brought in. And they also, you know, sieve their water for food, don't they? So yeah. So humpback whales are gulpers. Yeah. And so they can swallow plastic. plastic. Yeah. Um, very easily, and so some of these whales have been found dead on on beaches or shores. And when they do necropsies, they find their stomachs have no food in it, but yeah. lots of plastic bags. Goes back to our plastic issue, doesn't it? Goes back to our <laughs> plastic issue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's all all related. Mm. And what does the future hold for you? What's your next project coming up? I mean, the whale season has ended now that we're well yep, so I'm, I'm finishing a, a, a film that I'm doing right now which will be about 40 minutes in length mm -hmm, um, nice. mostly about about Bermuda and the humpback whales that we see here the next project I call the magical whale project mm -hmm. and that's to find magical whale yeah the whale that started me on this 12-year uh, mission the one we talked about before that you had the two-hour that I had the two with. encounter with that yeah. I couldn't sleep and that whale has never been seen anywhere else, mm. and it was an older whale. So I have a feeling it goes where whales are not photographed, which is Greenland or Iceland. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'd like to try and find that whale, um, and so that's the next project to, yeah, to film exciting. the quest. Yeah, get reunited. Yeah, get reunited. <laughs> Hopefully, he's still alive. <laughs> and um, you know, like I ask all the guests on the show, um, how do you stay inspired, Andrew? Um, just in general, um, just to get out there day after day and and keep keep at it after what now 12 years you say yeah that's a really interesting question what, what so what's it? the answer the the answer is because you, you you told me that you you're going to answer that ask that question and I thought about it I have to say at the end of each season um, and I spend about 40 days in the water and they're long days and they're not all exciting and I'm usually pretty tired and I think mm, do I want to keep doing this do you know what inspires me? What? The inspiration I've given to others. Oh, yeah. that's good. Passing yeah. it on. Passing, Passing the light on. on. Yeah. And they say, come on. It's a calm day. Let's go. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's like, oh, okay. And it's sort of, you've inspired them and they inspire you. Yeah. It's sort of this Yeah, it keeps the momentum going because I, I lose my energy. Yeah, it is. Because mm. I thought about your question and I thought, what is it that keeps me going? Because I know that I, after 12 years, I do sometimes no I, I do lose my momentum at the end of the season thinking yeah, yeah how many how many more times how many more years can I go out and bounce around on the ocean and come back with nothing yeah um, and it's the others that I've inspired that have become as passionate and mm -hmm. I would say even more passionate than I am mm -hmm. 
and they want to carry on, and they yeah. carry me with them. So that's what inspires me to keep going, the oh, wow. inspiration I've given to others. Yeah, yeah. good answer. Yeah, it is um, a good answer. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, to anything in their life, actually. Yeah. 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 Oh, fabulous. Well, thank you for being here to take the time with You're us. You're welcome, yeah. And, um, you know, as I said, he's got his, um, his website based mainly on Facebook. Can people go to your Facebook yeah, you so. just go to WalesBermuda.com uh, and then you, you can get onto the um, yeah, got you. the, the whales because you're uh, quite you're quite good about um, sharing images there and um, yeah. if people want whale images yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so um, we'll we'll wrap it up then thank you for being here thank you <laughs> you're very welcome good job <laughs> a job well done as Gigi <laughs> a job would say. well done yeah. give me a hug so job well done as my grandma Gigi would say so thanks guys for listening I hope you enjoyed this episode please have a look at the show notes which are on the podcast app but the website betchloe.com has the show notes too accompanied by extra photos there I have also shared different links to Andrew's work including his website bermudaaerolography.com showcasing his drone photographs and videos of the humpbacks and Bermuda and if you like this show I would be most grateful if you could tell a friend subscribe or rate and review on iTunes it all helps next episode will be when I will have traveled from Bermuda back to Australia, literally the other side of the world, 48 hours door to door with 30 hours in the air over three flights. Me and my brother Oliver will have hit the road in Layla the van traveling north from Sydney and I'll be reporting from one of our first stops, Byron Bay, a popular coastal town known for its surf and alternative lifestyle. We'll dive straight into meeting some unique Aussie creatures. I'll save it as a surprise. Hope to see you there. Till then, stay kind and see you at the next stop.